Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome everyone. I am joined again today with Dr. Robin Whitaker, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. In our last part or part three, we started looking at the ways in which to establish trust. Today, Dr. Robin is back with us and we're going to take a more in-depth look around some of the models or theories that exist and some, it's supposed a deeper look into the how-to as an option for you to consider when trying to build trust within your own teams. Now, of course, Robin is always contextualizing and giving us the rundown to say these theories and these models exist, but they're not the work. And Robin, I'm sure you're going to take us through that today, but it would be great for you to share some of your go-to sources when doing this deep work. So welcome, Robin. Thank you so much, Karen. Good to be back again. Fantastic. So Robin, let's kick off. Let's get right down to it. How do we build trust? Which kind of models and theories do you look at and how do we actually do this? Ah, thanks, Karen. Yeah, so we we had brief chat a little bit earlier just about the fact that models and theories and tools are fantastic. They are really useful. They are valuable, but they are not the work itself. However, my, my understanding, I love collating and collecting and looking for different ways that people are using to foster relationship, to step into wisdom, wisdom, but also collective and group wisdom, to be able to work together effectively, to see themselves as part of a whole rather than as desperate individual creatures all struggling to make meaning of their lives, but to really step past that and into, I guess, a little bit more of a spiritual, communal, connected place where we start to have a sense of our value in the world and the meaning of what we are doing. And there are many models. So this work is actually as old as humanity. So I always feel a little bit concerned when people have a magic model, because the truth is the magic is not in the model. The magic is in the intention that you bring to whatever framework you decide to use to try and foster a particular environment and to try and foster connection and the ability to work well and work effectively and work together so that you're actually growing into something bigger than yourselves. So there are many. A lot of the systems, systems change approaches are fostered on or are based on the ability to connect and to respect each other and to work in high levels of trust together. So uh, the Presencing Institute and the Theory U model are really powerful. The Bateson Institute, People Need People program is very powerful. A lot of the indigenous wisdom models, which again are based on um, really deeply human communal approaches that we seem to have lost in a very individualized society. Those have huge value. But the things, I have a couple that I really love. I love working with the Theory U model and I love working with Nancy Klein's Thinking Environment Time to Think work. And because they are 
very simple and very experiential. And they've been framed in such a way that anybody can use them and step into them. And it doesn't require massive expertise or certification. There's no claim to sort of use this and in 10 days time, you will have a perfect team. Um, there are models which give us a how-to but recognize that stepping into that how-to is a matter of our will and intention and what we are aiming for and what our goals are as teams. So perhaps just to, um, to look at two frameworks that are helpful. As I mentioned, the one is the thinking environment work. This is Nancy Klein's work. It can be found on the Time to Think website. And there is a lot of training that happens on it. A lot of teams, a lot of corporate teams have used the Time to Think training, but just a proviso. It's not enough to go on a three-day Time to Think course or six-month theory you course. It really is the practice of this in the long term. So any of these models for connection are not once off. There are frameworks that allow you to think together and to further develop together. And their value only comes when they're practiced consistently and when they are built in as part of the culture of an organization. Perhaps just to touch on first the time to think work. So as I mentioned in an earlier podcast, Nancy Klein's work was developed out of a recognition that, that the quality of everything that we do depends on the quality of the thinking that we do first. And the quality of the thinking that we do depends on how we are being treated while we are thinking. So it depends on how the human beings around us are consciously making space for us to think well. That thinking, therefore, is what takes place in strong, good, or high-quality thinking, is what takes place when we are feeling safe and we are in a relationship that we have a high level of trust and we have decided to become vulnerable in that relationship. And so... How to structure that? So how to build that into an organization's culture? There are things that you can do to build that in. It requires initial leadership. So it, it requires somebody in that organization to really invite the other people into thinking environments and to give them the experience of how it feels to be in a space where you can think really well. So that urges and creates a habit amongst a team. That's the way we like to think. And in fact, it is, it is such a powerful experience. It's so seldom experienced. It's devastating. It's actually so seldom experienced. And yet when we as human beings experience an environment that treats us like this, there is an instant recognition and there is an instant longing to have more. And so the leadership role here is really to create and hold sufficiently consistently environments that allow for deep thinking to happen and environments that are high in trust and connection and safety that people become addicted to them. 
So habituated to them, people start to feel that they don't want to anymore be in conversations which are fracturing and which are detrimental to the quality of their thinking. And so they start to set up their conversations and practice their conversations with increasing regularity in a way that is a thinking environment. And so setting up these thinking environments really requires attention to in this framework, I mean, in this model, to make it easy so that we can have something specific to hold on to, requires attention to 10 components. And those 10 components are attention. So bringing whole being attention into a conversation or into a discussion. I often refer to the, this sort of level of attention using the theory model you work which is around bringing your whole mind your whole heart and your whole will into a space with other people in order to pay attention to them well so bringing your whole being with an attitude of listening to hear not listening to answer i'm listening to understand not listening to impress and bringing your whole being into that experience. The second element is equality. And so this needs to often be made explicit. And we fail because a lot of our organizations have inherent power dynamics within them. So just the fact that, for instance, if you're a facilitator, you're immediately more powerful in the room than which you are facilitating. And it needs to be made explicit and made overt that in this space, we are going to hold each other with equality. And we recognize that there are power dynamics in this space, and we own that. So we're not pretending that there isn't, there aren't power differentials. But the commitment is in this environment where we are thinking together, that we practice equality. And that is whole equality. So it's equality not in terms of only the things that we frequently think about. So race, gender, age, etc. It's equality for, it's an equality and a respect for the equality of thinking styles, of lived experiences, of different perspectives, and holding those in equally high regard wherever they come from. Then there is the element of ease. And ease really is the freedom from anxiety and urgency and rush. And it is really important, again, to be explicit in this request and to invite people. So, you, so sometimes in order to create ease, when there is a highly stressed, something very stressful on the go, if you have a massive project that's overdue, that you are rushing to finish, etc., and everybody is running around like headless chickens, it's really hard to create an environment of ease. But if a leader is looking at that environment and seeing that actually the quality of what's happening is not going to get people to where they need to be, to call for you can delimit it in terms of time. So to call for a half an hour meeting that is held as a thinking environment meeting and where people step in and for that half an hour, they release the urgency so that the quality of their thinking can improve, can be extraordinarily powerful. So really be making explicit that in this space, we are going to release the rush 
and the anxiety and the head turning over itself in stress. And we are going to be at ease and listen to each other with our full beings. The fourth element, and I'll try and speed up a little bit, but the fourth element is appreciation. And that is a genuine appreciation for the other human beings with whom you are in conversation. <clears throat> the fifth is feelings. So acknowledging feelings and making it safe to express your feelings. And that is all feelings. Now, in our hugely intellectualized cerebral spaces, we have, we have done such damage to ourselves as human beings because we have separated out our feelings and our intellect. And uh, you so often hear people talking about a rational decision versus a knee-jerk reaction. But many, firstly, as a lived experience, we know this. But secondly, it is becoming increasingly obvious, we are remembering that actually we are integrated beings and that our emotional intelligence is an extremely valuable form of perceiving what's happening in an environment. And so paying attention to our feelings is really about accessing a deeper understanding of what might be at play and being explicit and giving explicit permission to for people to express what they are feeling and to be able to say, I feel sick to my stomach because something feels like it's not right here. That is powerful because then we can explore and find out what is it that's not feeling right here. There's another model that's very powerful, which I'm not going to discuss, but the deep democracy model also looks at really the ability to, to be able to express those things which we often suppress when we're in conversation with one another and to bring them into the light and to examine what information does us this give us about the conversation that we are in or the problem that we are facing. All right, so that's five down. There are another five to go. Um, the sixth element is encouragement, encouraging people, particularly when they are bringing something that's hard to bring. So when you have somebody bringing a dissenting opinion, encouragement means that we don't shut them down. We actually actively ask and encourage them to bring their thing. We don't dismiss it. Then information. So the information is the seventh element, and that is looking at all the information that is available to us. So the factual information, the information from everybody's different perspective. We have 10 people in a room. That means we have many different sources of information about the problem that we're solving. And then looking also at the information that's coming through from other spaces like our feelings, etc. The eighth element is that of difference. And this is like equality, it's the opposite end of the spell, it's the, one of the sort of elements of equality, but really respecting differences, diversity, different ways of thinking, different personality styles, and that is a very powerful thing to do, to respect people who don't think the same as us, to respect people with whom we may even be in conflict, and to value the fact that we can be in conflict because we appreciate that the differences that we have are natural, they are complementary. The ninth element is that of incisive questions. And the incisive questions are really trying to get beneath a problem and to unlock them. So trying to get beneath the limiting assumptions that we bring to a problem 
and unlock them through a liberating question that helps us to see out of what looks like a closed box that help us to see a chink of light through which we can go. And those incisive questions are allowed to be are allowed to be quite way out, but they do need to be based in real possibility as well um, and on real facts. But they can be like the sort of brainstorming techniques, things that are really way out, but that offer us a liberating avenue to fresh thinking. And then the 10th element, which underpins quite a lot of, it's probably one of the simpler elements, but it's something that we often forget to pay attention to. And that is really paying attention to the environment within which you are having these conversations. Now, that can be challenging because you can be on a factory floor and needing to pull together your whole team, but you can still pay attention to the place. So you can make sure that the place that you meet has enough space for everybody to sit comfortably is a little bit quieter and out of the kind of you're not shouting at each other over noisy machinery etc and then obviously in our current environment being able to create virtual place is very powerful and it can be done so on a zoom call for instance ensuring that you create a sense of place in which people feel comfortable might mean that we have some agreements when we are entering into a thinking space that unless you absolutely cannot avoid it you keep your camera on you don't mute yourself you bring kind eyes to the environment there's certain practices that you can practice in a virtual environment that make it safe and that's something that's quite remarkable to actually witness in practice you would think it wasn't possible but it really is and so practicing and putting into place those 10 elements within a thinking environment go a long way to fostering high quality thinking. It does need to be done often quite explicitly, but the more people experience those environments, the more comfortable they become and the more it becomes a subconscious ability. So that a team develops a subconscious ability to hold conversations in this way. So the leadership aspect initially is around being very explicit around what we are doing and how we are doing it. And the fact that it might feel a bit unusual because this is not the way that meetings are. It's such a valuable insight and such a nice guide when you come to think about it. And I think as you ended off there, in terms of how to do this in a virtual environment, which I see a lot of organizations knee-jerking back to, if we want to have a if we want to build a good team or if we want to drive innovation, if we want to do all these things, we have to have everybody back in the office. And I think what you've just described is such a powerful way to, to make hybrid teams work and work really well in this new age that we're in. It really is, it, it, again, simple, but not easy. But I think with enough deliberate practice, it's not unachievable. And I think that's the kind of ray of hope, I suppose, that stood out for me. It's simple things like improving your ability to listen and not as you very clearly stated it's not listening to respond which we so often do when we're in conversation but it's actually listening to to understand before you respond and a trick I always use is before trying to respond to anybody can I paraphrase what this person has said and gain agreement before I add in my piece of 
conversation or my piece of information into that conversation. And it's such a powerful skill. And often when we are caught up in in a stressful environment, etc., we don't stop to do that. We just want to explain our point. So I thought that was fantastic. Another one that really stood out for me was creating a space of ease. And how we just don't we just don't do that. We're having 101 meetings a day. Some of them you've probably seen as many articles as what I have of thing. How many meetings does one need to get specific things done? And now we're having meetings about meetings and not only articles, but I suppose a lot of the memes that are out there around that. But to create that sense of ease, to just release that pressure and time box it to get people to pay attention in there is incredibly powerful. The one that I wanted to check in with you is on respect. And I just wanted you to elaborate on that, especially when we're in conflict. I think that would rely on a very high level of personal mastery to be able to do that. What's your perspective? Oh, absolutely. And again, going back to it, it all starts with our own inner journey. And if I had to, if I had to give my definition of what a great leader is, a great leader is a person who is willing to go on their own inner journey. And that is a, I don't want to swear, that is a lot harder than it sounds. That is a lot harder than it sounds because the willingness to go on your own inner journey means, actually means that you need to be willing to become progressively more vulnerable, progressively less certain of yourself, more humble, that you are willing to recognize and work with your your failings i'm going to call them failings but i'm not i don't mean failures as in it's a it's your something humanness. that's terrible but your humanity it requires your willingness exactly karen to acknowledge that you are completely human and and to literally lay down power now it's a bizarre thing that because our leadership paradigm and however much we keep talking about distributed leadership and care-based leadership there are very few of us and i certainly will not claim to be one of them there are very few of us that can so go onto that journey of inner willingness to be completely human and completely honest and completely vulnerable that we can even hope to lead others on that journey. But there are many people who are willing to try. And that willingness, level of intention, the level of willingness to go on that journey and to recognize I'm not going to stop. It's one of those things that the closer I get, the further I am. The more I learn, the more I realize I don't know enough. But that willingness, the intention to be vulnerable and to create an environment for others to be safe and be vulnerable and bring their best and be absolutely human. For me, that's the greatest definition of what leadership is. And it's leadership. Sure, you will get results as an outcome, but it's not leadership that's focused on the drive and the urgency and the results at any cost. It's a leadership that's focused on the value that I as an individual can offer, the value that collectively we can create, the, and that value is not financial, it's about meaning. So value as mean as things that collectively make the world better 
both for ourselves and for those immediately around us and obviously, ultimately, for the larger world about us. And that's that's a rare breed. They are not absent. There are many of them, but it's not the it's not the classical, it's not the thing that we habituated to, it's not the way that that is the operating not, model of many organizations. And certainly not of many leaders, and I agree with you there, but it it does almost promote this call to action because of the high levels of burnout that we're seeing in the workplace. And that is, in my view, quite a result of leaders being solely focused on production, on process, on bottom line, and not recognizing the very humanists in their teams. And it's not only the team members that are either close to burnout or beyond that, it's the leaders themselves, especially coming out of what we've just been through, that incessant uncertainty and pressure is essentially is leading to leaders themselves feeling a bit burnt out. And being quite burnt out. And being quite burnt out. I do think that, um, again, so having been through this COVID period, which we could use as a reboot. So we could use it to really self-examine. And I hope many people have, and I hope that many people, many more of us do. But having been through that, I'm really struck by the debate that's going on at the moment and the difficulty that many organizations are having around how do we get people to come back and to come back to work. This sort of on the one hand, you've got organizations demanding and getting pushback. And one has to ask, you wonder. So where you have an organization where you are really having to threaten your employees or having to insist that they come back to work, one, there's a huge vulnerability in being able to ask yourself, why, why is it that people are not wanting to come back? What is it about this environment that people are not wanting to come back to? Because they've had a taste of a different way of working and they don't want to come back. And there are organizations where people are delighted to come back. What is it about the culture that we are creating in this workplace that doesn't make people feel safe, loved, nurtured, that they're not wanting to come back because they actually get stressed out by their work environment. And absolutely, there is a truth to the fact that innovation happens in person. But it's more than that. Innovation happens when we are safe together and feeling creative together and we actually are enjoying each other's company and we can let our thoughts flow freely deeply you'll find that this is deeply innovative companies will be paying attention to these things how do we create high quality thinking spaces how do we create environments that make our employees feel not like employees but like they are a connected team and those spaces, people are mostly happy to go back to. Some great food for thought once again, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Karen. Mm-hmm.